And I pray, Father, that we would never forget the need that we have for you, Lord, just to cling to you daily, to be attached to that vine so that, Lord, with you, we will be able to do all things. And so, Father, once again, we come before you in order to dig into your word that you would teach us and train us, Lord, especially, specifically, and how we are to minister to one another and support one another. And so, Lord, I just lift up this morning that you'd be glorified and we'd be taught, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbor? <coughs> Greetings. Neighbor? Hi, Boomy. <coughs> Excuse me. Good morning, Jim. How are you? Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be picking up where we left off at verse 22. And if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along. And there should be one in front of you underneath the chair. If there isn't, if you need a Bible, raise your hands and the ushers will bring one to you. We've got one in need there. Um, a couple of people have asked me, where is Mrs. Pastor Mike, <clears throat> my wife? Mrs. Pastor Mike got sick and tired of the pastor of this church, and she has decided that she is going to go find a better one. Um, actually, she's up in Vacaville. She's visiting her sister and her mother. She's coming back at about 2.30 today. She'll probably be here tonight. So just for those of you who are curious, she has not left me. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 1, I'll start reading at verse 22. Apostle Peter writes, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. As the grass withers, its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever." Now, this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. And so, Father, I just pray as we have this short section of Scripture and how pertinent it is to our communion meal and unity within the body of Christ, God, I just pray once again that you would show us these truths that are necessary for us to be effective and cohesive unit working for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Last week we looked at trials and how important faith and hope were in order to see us through as we go through these difficult days and these hard times in our lives. Once again, I've mentioned it many times, but it bears repeating faith. Faith involves trusting in God today. For the moment and the things that are going on in your life as things are going on that maybe you don't understand as you're going through hardship and difficulty to continue to have faith in God understanding that he's seated upon the throne and that God is in control but also there's hope trusting in God for our future knowing that there's going to be hardship there's going to be the difficult days in this lifetime 
but I'm working. We are all working towards something better. We're trusting in God for our future just as Jesus had told us. He's gone to prepare a price for us and will receive us unto himself. We look forward to that day. So the peace and joy that we are to have in the midst of hardship will be in direct proportion to the faith and hope that we have in God that is given to us through his word. So what is the most logical way of maintaining faith and hope? Well, the Bible says, especially as the days become more and more evil, especially as it becomes more common for you to sit in front of your TV or internet, whatever it might be, and say, what in the world is going on? How do we maintain faith and hope? It's a place where the Word of God is taught. It's come in the church. And it's not just from the pulpit, but it's all aspects of the body of Christ. We're going to be looking at some of the dynamics that need to exist in it. But the Lord was very clear to us, speaking through the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, he says, Therefore, brethren... Having boldness to enter the holies by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, which is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near. And the idea is let us draw near to one another, but let us draw near to the Lord. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order, this is the purpose, to stir up love and good works. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, as you see in time starting to come. And so the idea is, is that he's encouraging these people during difficult days, come to fellowship. Come to church. Why? Well, for what God has for you, but also for what you're able to give to somebody else to support one another. This body is to be fully functioning, whereas every member does its part, then we're all that we can be. And so what Peter is saying in verses 22 through 25, he's speaking to the church in Asia Minor. He's wanting them to remember, just as he is speaking to the church at Calvary Chapel, Ontario this morning, You're all in the same boat. You're all of the same family, and you're all one in Christ. So, that being the case, we need to support one another. Because just as I go through difficult days, and you're there to support me, when you go through difficult days, I'll be there to support you. And so, so support one another, care for one another. Have that mindset when somebody is down or somebody is suffering that maybe you're God's solution into their lives. And then thirdly, love one another. And that's a sacrificial love and and speaking, step outside of yourself. Step outside of what can be our pettiness, what can be our, 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 our thoughts or preconceived notions, and just minister to that person. Have that mindset, have that desire, and have that passion. Because what are we doing as the members of the church do that? We're, we're fostering this place where people are able to come and have their hope and faith strengthened. They're able to come here and to be healed. If there's divisions in the body of Christ, they're probably just going to come and be hurt maybe even deeper. So once again, when combining the themes of last few weeks' studies with this week's studies, we see that trials refine our faith. Faith refines our trust in God's Word. God's Word refines Christian character. Christian character refines our love of God. The love of God refines our love for one another. 
And so when you combine faith, hope, and holiness, there is going to be harmony in the body of Christ. And so what I want to look at this communion morning service is the concept of harmony, harmony in the church. Harmony in the church and what is necessary for harmony in the church. And just these small section of the scripture, I've gotten four elements that are involved. Now again, this is just a list that I find in a section of scripture that I believe that God has, has led us to. As you go through the Bible, you can find many lists and all are not designed to be all inclusive, but they're fit in the context to which they were presented. And what is presented here is Peter experiencing the trials and tribulations in Rome, knowing that they're going to radiate out from Rome. And so he's writing to these churches that are going to be experiencing hardship, trials, and tribulations for the purpose of preparing them. And so the greatest way is, first, obviously, a relationship with God, but to have harmony in the body of Christ. So that when trial enters in, there's a strong a strong foundation in that church to be able to deal with those things. And so, first, when. When is harmony enabled in the body of Christ? Well, we have to break it down even further than just the body because this extends to the individual. But since the unsaved person's thoughts are continually towards the taming of his own flesh and desires, something's got to change in that person. In fact, there must be a complete overhaul of that person's nature. And so look at verse 22. It says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. The idea here is what he's speaking of is the born-again experience, that change that brings me from being a person of my senses into being a person of the Spirit. When he says purified, it speaks of a past action with continual results perfect definition of being born again, a past action that continues to work in my life daily. And if you're born again experience, if you think back and you look at that time and it does not continue to work in your life, if God is not continuing to do this good work that he said he'll be faithful to complete, you need to revisit that day of your born again experience and consider, was I truly born again that day? And he says, since you have purified your souls two ways here in obeying the truth through the Spirit. We're not going to turn there, but in John chapter 3, we see those are the two critical elements of being born again, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. So the truth here is the gospel as the gospel was spoken, and then the Spirit obviously is the Holy Spirit. How does a person purify his soul? by hearing the gospel, having somebody share the gospel, and to hear it and hear it with uh, ears that want to and desire to gain understanding and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. It's ourselves giving ourselves over to God's doing here. It's a concept that is not just presented in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. God wanting to strength, strengthen the hope of Israel as they were in Babylonian captivity told them of a great future work that he will do. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 28, actually I'll back up to verse 24, God says, For I will, and, and I have all of the I wills underlined here, For I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your own land. Then... <clears throat> 
I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness from, from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my, all of my judgments and do them. Verse 28 is the response. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And so that relationship is all based upon what God is going to do. It speaks of the necessary obedience of our hearts, but it, <clears throat> it focuses upon the Lord and the work that the Lord does in the lives of his people. Excuse me. <clears throat> the idea here is every person who has obeyed the Holy Spirit upon the hearing of the gospel message has their inner self cleansed from all iniquity. You have been cleaned up, and not just cleaned up, <clears throat> Not only have we been made clean, but we've been put in God's family. And so everybody here who is a born-again believer, you're a born-again believer because you heard God's word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God didn't just say, well, I'll see you when you die or the rapture happens or whatever and I'll meet you up in heaven. No, then he had a church for you. It's when people come to me and say, hey, I'm thinking about coming to this church. I encourage them to, before you make any commitment, Hear, hear the pastor. Make sure that I can be your pastor. Make sure that these are your brothers and sisters so that you understand that this is the place that God has called you to be planted in and the place that God has called you to flourish. Because really, to be a member of God's family and to enter into God's family are inseparable according to what we've just read and what the Bible says, Hebrews and then here in First Peter and going back to Ezekiel and all. I have to understand that after salvation, my obedience doesn't stop there. It needs to be furthered on. Because once again, it comes down to if we have somebody who is suffering in the body of Christ, it affects the whole body. My wife kept telling me, you need to go to the doctor and get that thing growing up the top of your head checked out. I had a thing growing on top of my head. Um, I didn't think it was growing. I, I thought I had hit my head, and then, you know, in the shower, it's right where it hits the shower and, and all that. Just a little thing. Didn't think it'd be that big of a difference. And, you know, and then you dry your, well, I don't have hair to dry, but I dry my head. And uh, it kind of would break it open, and she kept looking at it. And then my cousin told me we were visiting him, hey, you need to get that checked out. You need to get it checked out. So I got this little thing checked out, and don't get freaked out here, but it's cancer. It's skin cancer. It's uh, basal carcinoma or something like that. It's, it's not the bad one. It's not um, melano- melanoma? Melanoma, yeah. It's not that. And so I'm going to have an appointment, and they're going to cut some more of my head out. Um, <laughs> But, you know, you wouldn't think it's a big deal. It's just, it's just a real little thing. Matter of fact, after service, if you want to see it, I'm charging five bucks a look. <laughs> but it's just a little thing within this whole body that is able to affect the whole body. And so I have to understand, now, if that works for the negative, it's also going to work for the good. Now, as I'm fulfilling my part in the body of Christ, then this body is going to be the better off for it. This body is going to be healthier. But if I'm a cancer within that body, it's going to tear down the whole thing. Well, 
how, how can just one person tear down the whole thing? It only takes one cell to multiply, and it's the destruction that cancer is. It multiplies, and it continues to multiply until it kills the host. I don't know if that's proper terminology, but you get the point. And it's the same thing within the body of Christ that we must be mindful of. So you have been cleaned up and placed in God's family. God sees even the most seasoned Christian as he sees the newest Christian. They're all his. When my oldest son was born, he had been, I don't remember, he was about five years old when my youngest was born. We didn't throw the oldest away and, okay, we got a new one now. Or we didn't ignore the new one because, well, this was the older one. You know, they're all part of the family. They've all been part of the family. The, the baby needed a lot more care and nurturing and, and growing for the purpose of maturing. But you put that effort in because of the spirit of love that you have for each one of them. And the total sum of them make up the family. And as they make up this family, there's joy in that family as we're all doing what we are to be doing. As we're all caring for one another and supporting one another. And it works the exact same way in the body of Christ. Secondly, who? Who are we to live in harmony with? Well, it points it out here very clearly again in verse 22. Since you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren. Since we are all children of God and we are to love one another as brothers and sisters, here comes the hard part and how we are to do it. And it's what it says here in the last part. I just read it. You got to love, but you got to love in sincerity. And that's the hard part. Because anything superficial, anything phony will be revealed for what it is. And so what the Lord is saying is this is something that we have to set our mind to. That the love that I give has got to be of sincerity of my spirit. In 1 John chapter 4 verse 20 it lends to the importance of this. If someone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. And he who does not love his brother, the members of his church, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? This would really be a great verse just to meditate upon and to think upon and to understand that if I am falling short of this, well, backing up to 1 Peter chapter 1, again, verse 22, we're told to love each other in sincere love, sincere, in sincerity. This is a decision that I make. This has to be a personal decision that I make in order to focus upon what God has called me to do. It's not a manufactured or artificial love, but one given by God, and it is to be free of hypocrisy, because we're all pretty good about sniffing out hypocrisy. And if there's a hypocrite, you usually don't want anything to do with him, or at least you'll call him out in his hypocrisy. And so to have that phony expression of love, that doesn't fly, God is saying, within the body of Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now again, this isn't a gazing into one another's eyes kind of a thing. This is just an agape love, that I died to myself for the benefit of somebody else. Die to myself? Well, that I put aside some of my feelings at times. 
I put aside some of my rights because although I may have a right, it's not always the right thing to do. I do what is better. I sacrifice of myself. So what is better to see that person grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Whoever it is that God has brought into the family. And here's another doozy. (laughs) It's sacrificial love. Let's see, one of my grandchildren, I can sacrificially love them. I mean, they're snotheads. I mean, they're rude and they're breaking things and the whole thing, but it's easy to sacrificially love them. If you come over to my house and start breaking things and doing that kind of stuff that they do, that's going to be really hard. But when it becomes really hard, that's sacrificial. And that's a great opportunity for you to sacrificially love somebody. And so to sacrificially love somebody, it can't be somebody who's easy to love or easy to give to or whatever it might be. It's got to be the hard person It's got to be the difficult person. It's got to be the person that you don't really want to do it. And you need to find sincerity within your heart and and, and to forgive and to love as God in Christ Jesus loved and forgave you. How did God in Christ Jesus love and forgive you? He did so graciously. He did so as you were undeserving, but nonetheless. Think of who and how you were when you were saved. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. And I've heard it said before, you guys need to get along whatever it might be. And Well, when they start doing whatever this, but that's not the truth, the proof of what sacrificial love is. The change, the change always has to start at the individual, and the individual is you, because you are the one that you have control over and backing up. You need to be working at this to be a sincere love. Now, we will not live in harmony with the world, nor does God intend us to do so. As a born-again Christian, you will not be able to live in harmony continuously with any unsaved person, because there's always going to be a conflict there. If you can, then one of you more than likely isn't what they seem. We're told, and we're not going to turn there, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, we're not to be yoked together with unbelievers. To be yoked together, you would yoke two animals to perform a task, to do work. And if these animals were not like, they would be in conflict with one another. I mean, I don't know what work you're going to do with them, but just think what would happen if you yoked a cat and a dog together. Two... <laughs> The cat lady thought that was funny, because <laughs> she knows. There's just going to be this constant conflict. And that's the idea, a believer and an unbeliever, there's going to be that constant conflict. So to start a business with an unbeliever, if you're a believer, there's going to be constant moral conflict there. To marry somebody who is an unbeliever, there's going to be constant conflict there. And so we are told, we're even commanded, not to be yoked together with unbeliever. Well, but about a love for the unsaved? Well, your love for the unsaved will spring out of your love for the saved and even be a witness in itself. And it's going to be through that spirit of love that you preach the word because there can only be one result of our relationship with the world. It's them hearing the word of God through you being filled with the Holy Spirit and just as you became born again, that they would become born again as well. Well, problem, a lot of people confuse ignoring people's lack of salvation or worldly ways and thinking that that is an expression of sacrificial love, and it's not. 
We have to be people who have our morals and personally stick to them. I don't expect the world to have biblical morals because that's contrary to their nature. But as far as concerned with myself, I need to have that example. I need to set that example. My sister called me yesterday. They went out on the prayer chain. There was a young man with Duchamp's. He was riding on a bus, muscular dystrophy. He was riding on a bus, and he fell, and he broke both of his legs. And now he's on life support. He's only 16 years old. My nephew has that. He has muscular dystrophy. And so my sister knew the family and knew the young man. They spent time together at a conference this past summer. And it was just really hard. My sister's heartbroken over this. And she called and asked for prayer. And it's kind of a cool thing because I don't know that my sister's a believer, but she called and asked for prayer. And, and, and about three years ago, a friend of hers um, had a, it was a cancer episode and she was near death. And my sister asked us to pray and we prayed and we set our hearts to pray for this young girl and she was healed. And, and, and she went from the doorstep of death and my sister said, she's doing really well now. And so can you pray now for, for, for this young man? His name is George. And so they need to see Christ in us. There's no doubt about it. But what does the world see in us? What is it today? Well, the immorality that maybe exists in the individual lives in the church today, but also the divisions that are within the church today, the backbiting and the fighting. And what happens when the church is no different than the world? Then it's not able to have that purifying effect. And so as far as our ministry to the world is concerned, yeah, preach the word, but it's got to start with unity within the body of Christ. There has to be a harmony amongst us in order us to be effective. College football was yesterday. Professional football is today. The teams that win are going to be the ones that have the athletic ability. Well, we all have the ability. We're filled with the spirit, not athletic, but you know what I mean. But they also have to work in harmony with one another. When the quarterback says, hike the ball on two, and what if the center says, you know what, I don't like hiking the ball on two. I'm going to hike the ball on three. Well, if there's that conflict, the team is going to fall apart. And again, that conflict can exist within the body of Christ as much as it depends upon us through a heart of grace and sacrificial love. We have to make sure that it doesn't. Thirdly, the third element of harmony in the body of Christ is how believers love. Again, verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently and with a pure heart. Some may be confused. I didn't just fall off the salvation truck and start loving. Is something wrong with me? Well, it's all part of the maturation process understanding of who Jesus is and and through the teaching of the word and being pulled into the body of Christ and to be discipled to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Christian love is not a feeling and it's not an emotion, but it is a matter of the will. You have to have that desire to do so because I'm sure each and every one of us have been disobedient in that call and in that command at times. At times the flesh has gotten the better of us. And so what I see is it does depend upon my mindset, my resolve in the Lord to do these things and to love like God has commanded me to love. It's something we need to decide to do, and then we need to continuously work at doing it. 
couple of things here. First, you will have to sacrifice your will in order to love the brethren. Again, it's sacrificial love. This means you will need to forgive without remembering. You will need to overlook certain things. There may be aspects of that person that just are not appealing to you. And you need to be kind. You need to represent the spirit of Christ to that person. This is to treat others as God, or at least you desire God to treat you. You'll pray, God be gracious to me. God be merciful to me. Are you in turn being gracious and you in turn being merciful? I mean, if you're not acting like that, why would you expect God to be that way towards you? Just something to consider. Secondly, your sacrificial love needs to be, we're told here, fervent. Fervent is an athletic term meaning to stretch to the furthest limit of a muscle's capacity. You need to stretch yourself to the limit because Christ stretched himself to the limit as he was upon that cross. In 1 Peter 4, verse 8, And above all things, have fervent love for one another. Stretch yourselves, for, the love, for love will cover a multitude of sins. It's not that people's sins are forgiven because of, of that, but the idea is, is to overcome somebody maybe who has sinned against you, and the love that you have for him will overcome that. And so if somebody sinned against me, I can hold on to that, I can allow that feeling to fester. I can allow it to become a, to the point of the boiling, me boiling over. Or I can have the mindset that I need to be sacrificial here in my manner of dealing with this person. I, I need to overcome this. And, and when, you, when you give love, what are you doing? You're doing what God has called you to do. And what happens when you're doing what God has called you to do? God will enable you, what he has, enable you to do what he has called you to do. And so the mindset so many times, you've got to love that, oh, I can't do that. You don't understand. They did this, they did that. Well, I understand everything that you did against God, and he forgave you, and then he's given you this commandment. And as he has given you a commandment, he's going to enable you to do so. We're told in the Bible that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So whatever it is that God has called you to do, you can do it. And really what it boils down to is not that you can't do it, it's that you don't want to do it. You want to hold on to the wrong that has been done to you. You want your pound of flesh. You want that person to suffer as you suffered. Now, wouldn't it be something if Christ expected you to suffer as he suffered? He doesn't expect that. And since he doesn't expect that, we ought not to expect that with anybody as well. Fervently, we need to stretch ourselves. When someone sins against you, you just need to cover it with a sacrificial love. The third source of sacrificial love has got to come from a pure heart. An impure heart is one that loves for his own benefit. A pure heart is one who loves for the benefit of others. And again, it's just one of these common things. As I come in here, if I'm loving myself, at some point I'll probably be rejected by the whole. But if I enter in loving one another, and then we're we're entering into the fabric of who God has called us to be. And when we have that love, we have harmony, and harmony produces the unity of the body of Christ. So that when I come to church, I'm excited because there's that feeling of family when I come here, and the love of God that is displayed. Because you're not getting that out in the world, and you cannot produce that by yourself. It's why we've been told not to forsake the gathering together of the brethren. And so a pure heart, pure heart is a heart that I'm doing this, not for personal gain, but for the glory of God. 
We're told in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see, for they shall see God. They shall see God. Where are you going to see God? You're going to see God working in you. That's the first place that you need to see the Lord. The Lord working in you and the Lord changing your heart and the Lord doing that work in your heart because once again, you've got no control over anybody else. So it's to set your mind on these things and to have an excitement as you realize, wow, that one element of my flesh that I've been really struggling with, today I was able to overcome. And that's the Lord because I know that that's not, the, that, that's not of me. Because of me, I can do absolutely nothing, but of Christ, I can do all things. Why? Because he will strengthen me. He'll give me the ability to fervently stretch myself. Fourthly, the fourth element of harmony in the body of Christ is the knowledge of why we are to be harmonious. Verse 23 through 25. And having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of God, the word of the Lord, endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So when you were born again, verse 23, he kind of, we, we just talked about this, but again, he's pointing it out. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, well, the corruptible seed, the seed here is the male contribution to the reproductive process. And you were born of that when the day we were birthed. You were born of corruptible seed. It's that sinful nature that is passed from man to man, you know, mankind to mankind to mankind. But on the day that you were born again, it was through incorruptible seed. Again, it was the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. So on that day that you were born again, you are now a new creation in Christ. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away. All things have been put away. And we are now new in him. We move forward in that newness of life. We have to be of that mindset. Why was there harmony in the family that I was raised? Well, we all came from the same source. Imperfect people, we did the best we could, but that same source was mother and father. As far as church here today, we have all came from the same source. Again, nobody has come into Christianity according to their own power, according to their own will, or according to their own way. God looked down upon each and every person here that is born again and was merciful he kept you out of hell. He was gracious. He's bringing you into heaven. And it was all a work that he did. And so as God has looked upon that person and that person favorably, why would I look upon them disfavorably? Think of what that does to the heart and the soul of God. Have you ever had anybody disrespect your children or you know, just talk bad or even evil of your children? As a parent, it vexes your soul. And again, we need to take that through as I speak evil of this person or that person. What does that do to the heart of God as well? He hung on the cross for that person. He bled for that person. He has received that person unto himself, and he has cleaned that person, and he is changing that person. Far be it from me, far be it from us, that we would hinder that process that God is doing in their life. 
the point here is since those who have been born once are corrupt, all of their attempts at unity are going to be corrupt. And what's the inherent problem? Well, he says here in verse 24, he gathers this from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 8, I believe it's verse 1. First Peter chapter 1, verse 24, he says, All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flowers of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away. So any perfection that we see in man or even in ourselves apart from God, that's going to pass away. That is just going to be something temporary that is going to have no long-lasting effects. I was looking at his pictures of Einstein and some of the things that Einstein has done. Einstein's dead now. Yeah, he was able to have some very profound effects through his ability to think and to reason and all of these. And some of them have been positive. Some of them have been negative to humanity as well. And so what we need to see is, what do I have to offer? The only thing I have to offer anybody is what Christ has first given to me and I'm willing to give to others in a spirit of love. I mean, how many of you are really going to come back if I'm just sitting up here just lecturing at you people without a spirit of love every single week? Just not going to make that connection, not going to be a representative of God in that particular case. But it's as we are ministering in that spirit of love, rightly representing Jesus Christ, to those whom God has called us to, as we're doing that, there's going to be the connection made. Because look at the world. They're ranting and they're raving all of the time. The right right has gone off the deep end just as far as the left has in this manner of debate. There's no such thing as debate anymore. It's either you believe as I believe or you're an idiot, you know, for the most part, and you're treated as such. And so we've lost that. And unfortunately, it's even to the detriment of salvation because as that mindset springs up, there's no room for debate when it comes to the gospel and it comes to the knowledge of God as well. People have so pulled themselves off into their perspective corners and it's going to be to the detriment of the salvation of men and women. So those who have been born again, their attempts at unity will be incorruptible because we possess the supernatural We possess the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit who draws us together through the Word of God. Again, verse 25, but the Word of the Lord, it endures forever. How does the Word of God endure forever? This planet isn't going to endure forever. The way I see it, it endures all the time that mankind is here until God destroys this planet, and that God will continue to save souls through the Word of God. But also it's going to endure for all of eternity in so many ways. But one of the biggest ways is the salvation of your soul that will live for eternity as well. The effects of the word of God upon your life will endure forever. And so one of the things you need to remember then, as you look around here in this place, we are all, everybody who's a born-again believer, will endure forever. We're going to be together for eternity. And so you better start making friendly with one another now because you're going to be with one another forever. And I just have this feeling. This is not biblical whatsoever, but you go up there, Synthache and Yodia, they were two women that Paul addressed in Philippians chapter 4. They were kind of at one another. He makes it clear that they're born-again believers, but I can imagine God lock them in the forever room until they get it right. You're going to stay in there until you get it right because he's not going to, well... That's just me 
talking. But nonetheless, you get the picture. You get the picture. And that we're going to be spending eternity together. And we need to start acting as brothers and sisters. And we need to have that unity. And if there's something wrong, if my brother does something against me, what does it say? Matthew chapter 18 says, go to talk to them. Why allow this thing just to foster and then you start thinking or start trying to discern what they're thinking and what their motives are and that's never really right because you go to an extreme in one way. Get it out on the table. Just talk to one another, he says. And if you've done so, then you've gained your brother. Then your relationship is going to be healed and it's even going to be strengthened. The problem comes is when we don't do these things and once again we allow the cancer to continue. So what we have here is a call by God to people about to enter into tribulation just as surely as we are here at Calvary, Ontario. This is to exhibit, they are to exhibit, an undying love for one another that is consistent with our imperishable new life in Jesus Christ as we receive the gospel of God so that we would be unified and we would be strengthened. And that's how God strengthens us as we go through our personal trials, but the corporate trials as well. So when a brother or sister is down, there's the mindset of the church to gather around them. One of the hardest things that I see, one of the saddest things I see, are people that are going through a trial and they call the church, and they don't have a church. And somebody just told, well, we'll call a church. You know, you're, you're, you're going to lose your house or, you know, whatever it might be. Or, you know, you need to have a funeral. Well, what are we going to do? We, we're going to have a funeral. Where do I have a funeral? Well, they don't have a church. And they're, they're, they're searching and they're looking. And so really what that tells me is they've entered into this hardship without the protection and the support of the body of Christ. I've seen people in our church, though, as we've had people that have gone to be with the Lord. And I've seen the church rally around them and to support them. And, and through that, they're strengthened. And in the midst of their trial, well, God's purpose in that trial is going to come to pass. But we've all entered in together. And as we've entered in together, we're supporting one another. And I'm now, since I've supported somebody else, when my time of trial comes, those who I've supported will support me. And that's the way God has intended this to work. Don't forsake the gathering together of the brethren, especially as you see the difficult day about to come. First John 3.14, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. And so as a physical means of being reminded of this, we're going to celebrate the communion meal now. Communion meal, as we consume these elements, the idea is a family get-together, a family dinner, if you will, a family meal. I, I believe these things, and you believe these things, and because we believe these things, we all believe these things corporately, we consume these things, and they become part of of who we are. And God is constantly changing because I believe that he died for my sins, because I believe that he has come in the flesh. And so this meal, this communion meal, is a solidifying of that which we believe and those who we are supposed to be. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. <clears throat> and again, when he gave thanks, I don't think this was just a prayer before the meal. I don't think he was given thanks because he got to eat a piece of bread here. 
I think he was given thanks because of what that represented. Because Jesus understands that his sacrificial death is going to open the gates of, king, of the kingdom of God. All of those who have died previously in faith are going to be able to enter into their reward. All of those who will die in faith will be able to enter into their reward. Jesus here, as he's taken the single piece of bread, is reminded of the magnitude of what is to happen. We have an advantage as you're holding that. You should be giving thanks as well. Not because you get to eat a stale cracker, but because you're reminded of this great thing that God has done for us corporately, but also for you individually. Verse 25, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, it says he did it in the same manner, and I'm sure that's a manner of thanks, because he's realizing that this cup of wine represents the blood that is going to flow. The blood that is going to flow represents his physical death upon the cross. And he's realizing and understanding this punishment that he is taking upon himself is so that you don't have to pay the price for your sins. Again, you enter in through belief. And understand, this is where our unity lies. It lies because God loves you to such a degree that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It also represents that you have been covered by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been seen just, or you are seen just as if you have never sinned. Verse 26, for often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And so that's what, this is a public proclamation of Jesus' death and that one day he's going to come again. Verse 27, therefore, and he's saying this, he's adding this, it's based upon what he just said, but the reason he's adding this is because there was divisions at the church at Corinth then. He says, therefore, think of this, you people of Corinth that have these divisions and allowed them to stay there. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. I think to partake of this meal in an unworthy manner is to do so in unbelief, but it's also to do so with divisions that exist in your relationships within the body of Christ. I believe it's that way because, well, it just makes sense. An unworthy manner is to hold these elements in your hands and not be a born-again believer. And basically you're saying Jesus came in the flesh and his blood spilled, but not for me. But also, unworthy manner, in the context of what he's talking about here, the context is the divisions that existed in the people who were being made to stumble. So we must consider these things. We must consider these things even before we partake. And so... I want to pray over the communion meal before we start serving it. And as I'm praying, I'm going to give just a a moment of time that you would consider that if you would be partaking of this meal, would you truly be doing so in an unworthy manner? And, And if the answer is yes, if there's something in your life, it needs to be taken care of, obviously physically, but right now you can take care of it before the Lord through a spirit of repentance. We're told in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so it's just a matter of you communing with the Lord so that you would be able to have communion with one another. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity and this time, and just pray, Father, that you would bless us for being together. Pray, God, that you would use this time just as a point of remembering, 
to remember the intimacy of first love, to remember when we were first born again, and Lord, as we entered into this new life and the excitement that was there. And, and, and Lord, just to remember the times when it was obvious that you moved in our lives and you did that great work, that, Lord, we would not move away from there, but, Father, we would stay connected to those memories, but also, Father, be of that mindset to, to reach forward to that higher calling. But, God, sometimes we get drugged down, we get bogged down in the flesh. And one of the worst expressions of the flesh is in some of the negative relationships that we're able or that we do have with, with one another. And so, Father, I pray for a cleansing in this place. As the subject of the word that you have determined to be today, and I didn't just teach that message because it's communion, but is harmony, I pray that we would consider ourselves and what needs to happen within our lives, that, Father, as much as depends upon us, that there would be harmony in the body of Christ. And so right now, I want each person here to just consider themselves. Consider, is there anything that would render you to be unworthy to, take, to partake in this meal? If so, just as I just read in 1 John, just confess it to the Lord. We're just going to use a quiet time for, for that purpose here today. If you've yet to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, confess that to the Lord and enter into that right relationship through faith. This is a work that God does personally in each and every one of our lives. So let's just take this time I'm going to take a good two minutes. Don't allow the silence to be awkward, but allow that silence to give you this opportunity to have an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the church in this place this morning. So, Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you that you meet us in a very personal way. And, Father, I just pray that this meal this morning would reflect our belief in that and also would be a, a reflection, Lord, of the unity that truly is in this place. And so, God, we just ask once again for a fresh knowledge of your grace and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and make two lines, grab the elements, take them back and, uh, to your chair, hold on to them, and we'll partake together.
Thank you. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face, O God of Jacob. And God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face, O God of Jacob. Seeks your face, O God of Jacob. We bow our hearts, we bend our knees. O Spirit, come make us humble. sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness he humbled himself and carried the cross love so amazing love so amazing 
Father, once again, it's that time of the month that we hold these elements in our hands. And again, Father, I pray that this would not just become another religious routine, but we would truly take this time, Father, to examine our hearts and to understand, Father, the reason and purpose that you had behind this meal. And that, Father, it was forecast in the Passover meal, but it came to fruition, Lord, as you were here and you walked amongst us. And we have that reminder as we hold this bread. 
And then we have, Father, this reminder of your blood that washed our sins away. And it's that constant reminder of who we used to be, but who we are now and who we will be in the future. And so, Lord, the communion meal is a great remembrance as we remember what has happened, but we are also reminded of what is going to happen. And, Father, it just strengthens our faith and our hope in you. And so, Lord, we partake of this meal, not as perfect people, but people, Lord, whom grace has been given. And so, Father, I pray that you would continue to mold us into your image, that you be glorified, Lord, through our actions, that, Father, our desires would be according to yours, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake. Go ahead and stand. Next Sunday is going to be our anniversary celebration. We're going to have food. We're going to look at our very first year in review. And really, our first year in review was like three months in review, and that we were at church for just three months when the end of the year came. Um, You'll see some familiar faces. You'll see some faces that aren't so familiar, like mine. I used to have, like, dark hair and even hair, but... um, and just, uh, just a reminder of the great work that God has done and continues to do. I invite you to come out. Um, also, our, our couples retreat is coming up. We have to turn in a rooming list. It's October, um, the mid, mid-October. Um, so if you're planning on coming, we need to get you signed up so we're able to get the room straight and all. So if you're able to do that today, that would be a blessing. Um, and then next Sunday as well in the afternoon, we're going to be having our baptism. So if you've yet to be baptized, perfect time to get that taken care of. Other than that, tonight we're going to be back in First Chronicles. Um, there'll be a couple up here for prayer. God bless you guys. I'm accepted, you were condemned I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me Because you died and rose again I'm forgiven I'm forgiven, because you were forsaken I'm accepted, you are condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. I'm forgiven because you are forsaken. 
I'm accepted. You are condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you. Blessed day.